Have you ever been plunged under the surface of your conscious life and found yourself all at sea? My Jungian therapist said to me that this breakdown was the best thing that had ever happened to me. If you haven't been keelhauled by life, then you're not living. Welcome to the Anxious Poets podcast with Adrian Scott, the Anxious Poet. But now the sun aches over the tree line this thing of darkness, I acknowledge mine. Reworking the territory of the past, exposing that the presence in loss is the impudent sprouting of a new life. Speaking lines gleaned from a dark and no moon night when only my pen knew its way. There is a certain kind of vow no one can make for you. It is the vow of vulnerability. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. Poem in October. It was my 30th year to heaven woke to my hearing from harbour and neighbour wood, and the mussel pooled and the heron-priested shore, the morning beckon, with water praying and call of seagull and rook, and the knock of sailing boats on the net-webbed wall. Myself to set foot that second in the still sleeping town and set forth. My birthday began with the water birds and the birds of the winged trees flying my name above the farms and the white horses, and I rose in rainy autumn and walked abroad in a shower of all my days. High tide and the heron dived when I took the road over the border and the gates of the town closed as the town awoke. A spring full of larks in a rolling cloud and the roadside bushes brimming with whistling blackbirds and the sun of October summery on the hill's shoulder. Here were fond climates and sweet singers suddenly come in the morning where I wandered and listened to the rain-ringing wind blow cold in the wood far away under me. Pale rain over the dwindling harbour and over the sea-wet church the size of a snail with its horns through the mist and the castle brown as owls. But all the gardens of spring and summer were blooming in the tall tales beyond the border and under the larkful cloud. There could I marvel my birthday away, but the weather turned around. It turned away from the blithe country and down the other air and the blue altered sky streamed again a wonder of summer with apples, pears and red currants, and I saw in the turning so clearly a child's forgotten mornings when he walked with his mother through the parables of sunlight and the legends of the green chapels. 
and the twice-told fields of infancy, that his tears burned my cheeks and his heart moved in mine. These were the woods, the river and sea, where a boy, in the listening summertime of the dead, whispered the truth of his joy to the trees and the stones and the fish in the tide. And the mystery sang alive, still in the water and singing birds, and there I could marvel my birthday away, but the weather turned around. And the true joy of the long-dead child sang burning in the sun. It was my thirtieth year to heaven, stood there in the summer noon, though the town below lay leaved with October blood. Oh, may my heart's truth still be sung on this high hill in a year's turning. Welcome to episode 18 of the Anxious Poets podcast. I'm Adrian Scott. I am the Anxious Poet. You just heard me reading Dylan Thomas's famous poem in October, celebrating his 30th year to heaven, his birthday. I am about to celebrate my 60th year to heaven, my 60th birthday. Sadly, Dylan only managed another nine years before he reached the swallow-thronged loft. He reached his heaven. And I'm so fortunate to have reached my 60th year to heaven and still be in fairly good health and spirits. In this podcast, I would like to reflect on this strange thing we have about zeros. We don't think much of our 29th or our 36th or 42nd or 54th year or even 59th year that I'm in. But somehow these era-defining zeros, 50, 60, give us a moment to think, wow, where have I been? Where am I going? How much more have I got? All those questions. So I wanted this podcast to be a kind of retrospective for me of the life I've lived so far and the world that I've witnessed and also a celebration of being on this planet and all the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to as Shakespeare's Hamlet has it. In this podcast I've always tried to be honest about those natural shocks that flesh is heir to and what they do to us and to see that vulnerability and anxiety and the issues of mental well-being and mental health can be a gateway into creativity and rather than shy away from them to explore what they have to teach us about who we are and and how to find a curative generative life what do i mean by that how to find easement the things that help us 
with our traumas and with our difficulties, with those natural shocks, but also how to find resilience, how to find a way of looking life in the face and speaking of it and telling its story in a way that becomes healing, in a way that becomes um, like Jacob who wrestled with the angel. And he, he wrestled and, and said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And, and the angel does bless him, but from then on he walked with a limp. Um, life is like that. There are moments where we somehow have to grab hold of the thing that seems most difficult and wrestle with it till it blesses us. And yes, okay, we might from then on walk with a limp, but we will limp into a, into a more generous life more compassionate with ourselves and with other people the boy within i am caught between a future that age is prizing from my weakening hands and a past that recruits regrets to stand for my missed chances chances that slipped by as i was busy proving myself my present is so much less enticing than when I was 20. Even on holiday, there I am, waiting for myself. Unbidden, I recall a photo of my junior school face, his boyhood clad in a mother-knitted jumper and a smile. Blondness beams out at me as I sense his presence down near my spine, rising from unmined depths. With it comes a memory of my boy as he throws sticks at the great horse chestnut, dislodging a spiky green orb. His new fingers split the skin to reveal a russet-grained conker in white flesh. This tender opening reweaves me with myself as I stand now in my sixtieth year with comfortable girth and prescription for blood pressure tablets. Flourishing again, the boy steps through this unremembered gate, taking my hand, pulling me through as his smile lifts the wrinkles from my frown. All these years, I've been trying to grow up into a settled man, but suddenly I want to grow down, down into rescued innocence. All these years, I've been trying to grow up into a settled man, but suddenly I want to grow down into rescued innocence. I wrote that poem actually in my 50th year. The original line is, this tender opening reweaves me with myself as I stand now in my 50th year. It still works for me as a way of standing on that 60th cusp of looking backwards and looking forwards. A liminal place, a threshold between the life that I've lived and the much smaller amount of life that I've got left. That poem came out of reading Dylan's poem in October. 
In Dylan's poem, he talks about the boy within. He, in the middle of the poem, as it turns, he says the weather turned around. He's on that liminal cusp. And I've actually been, the fantastic thing is, you, you can walk that birthday poem um, out of Larne, where Dylan Thomas lived, and up, and there are um, plaques with the poem written on it, up to the top of Sir John's Hill. Um, and and you can stand at the brow of the hill where the weather turned round and you look down on the estuary. And he says, and I saw in the turning, I saw in that liminal moment, I saw the child and his forgotten mornings when he walked with his mother through the parables of sunlight and the legends of the green chapels. And for me, that that line about green chapels reminded me of this incredible horse chestnut tree that was on my road to school and back. It's gone now. I, I walked up there a few months ago <clears throat> and... Um, it's not there anymore but it was huge and I would get sticks and throw them up at the conkers in autumn to try and bring them down um, and then I'd take them home and we had an arga cooker and my mum would bake them in vinegar that was meant to make them hard and then uh, I'd, I'd thread them on string and take them to school and, and we'd play conkers and somehow that memory and it says, unbidden, I recall a photo of my junior school face, his boyhood clad in a mother-knitted jumper and a smile. Um, I've got photographs of all my junior school years, you know, when you have the, the photographer come and he takes a picture. And my mum would never buy jumpers for me because she was a great knitter. And so in each one, I'm in this, this jumper uh, that she'd knitted for that year. And I notice that there's this sunny-looking boy in his seventh, eighth, and then the ninth year, his face changes. My father, and this is very significant to me, had a stroke when he was 60, and he died when he was 63. And that boy's face changes. He suddenly sees and you can see it in my face that life can do really terrible things to you that one of the thousand shocks that flesh is heir to is that your parents are mortal and vulnerable just like everybody else and it sh literally shattered my world um, my father became quite uh, disabled he had to walk with a stick and and was around the house all the time and then he died and and just before I went to secondary school and I can see in those photographs that I changed but somehow in the remembering of that this tender opening reweaves me with myself and I think that's one of the great benefits of these zero years is that there's a chance to make a tender opening to reweave ourselves again Dylan does it in this piece 
the twice told fields of infancy, that his tears burned my cheeks and his heart moved in mine. These were the woods, the river and sea, where a boy in the listening summertime of the dead whispered the truth of his joy to the trees and the stones and the fish in the tide, and the mystery sang alive. The mystery sang alive. And the true joy of the long dead child sang burning in the sun. I think I was talking to my wife about this today. We are creatures of memory. The past is not dead. The past is a is a country. It's a it's a, a living world within us. And the poetic imagination in people like Dylan in the prelude by Wordsworth, they're reweaving us with ourselves by making that journey of discovery back into their memory, into their childhood, in order to reproduce our DNA in the present, reproduce our damaged traumatized joy-filled happy conflicted broken yet wonderful selves in this present moment in my 60th year with comfortable girth and prescription for blood pressure tablets flourishing again the boy steps through this unremembered gate and that's a quote from T.S. Eliot from the, the, the four quartets he talks about an unremembered gate and I think reweaving ourselves with our past with our memories with what comes to us is that unremembered gate or one of them because I also think being in the present moment with all that, that memory brings to us, being able to get out into the natural world is another of those unremembered gates. In, in the opening poem of Arriving in Magic, um, I have a, the poem Arriving in Magic, and I say, no more can I pass the gap that gates the path unnoticed. And in that poem, as in The Boy Within, I'm recognising that I've spent so much of my time in my 30s and 40s and 50s uh, missing chances that slipped by as I was busy, busy proving myself. In other words trying to validate myself in the world, trying to get people to notice me or to be, to find my importance, to find um, that sense, that elusive sense that, yeah, I'm someone, that I've, I've made a mark or I've done something. It's like there's a, there's a teenage part of us that is constantly taking selfies and posting them up there and hoping we get enough likes, enough recognition that we can then think, okay, I've made it. I don't need to worry about myself anymore. And it's all, sadly, a fool's errand. 
because the deep sense of who we really are comes from this going through the unremembered gates. Dylan talks about going out of the town and the gates close behind him. And I think that's really important, that there are moments where we have to go out of that game of, of self-validation and let the doors close behind us and think, okay, I'm going to stop that game and I'm just going to be with myself, be on my own, listen to my own narrative, my own story that comes in my dreams, that comes from what people say to me, that, that are around me, that come from my experiences, good and bad, difficult and easy, that come from what I've read, the art that I've looked at, all the things that I've taken in. When I am able to enter those places and let the, the, the doors to the town close behind me, then, then I can marvel my birthday away. No more can I pass the gap that gates the path unnoticed, stepping through towards mossy trees and fishes glimmer, novice to the green flame in the bud. This magic is the fierce embrace of all that makes up our life's course, uttered bold in faith to the deep, unsleeping witness of the dark. No more can I pass the gate, the gap that gates the path unnoticed, stepping through towards mossy trees and fishes glimmer, novice to the green flame in the bud. This magic is the fierce embrace of all that makes up our life's course, uttered bold in faith to the deep, unsleeping witness of the dark. Any creative process, like writing poetry or writing novels or painting pictures, making sculptures, taking photographs, all the creative activities that we can engage in, open us to that magic that is the fierce embrace of all that makes up our life's course. It opens us to listen to the narrative of our own life. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. A raven in my sleep. The caw sounded the moment I caught sight of a deep blackness outside the window. I was seated at a desk in a classroom, the blackboard's thin white letters spelling out the pointless exposition of insideness. The dark shape configured itself into outstretching wings, lifting the black body off from the high hawthorn hedge and sailing through the open window lightly raising and alighting on my slight shoulder's perch. Talons puckering the skin of my blade with just enough pressure to let me know that they were fitted to tear flesh with ease. Releasing again, 
a sign of tender invitation to impending friendship. Then the weight of the bird's body pressing down on me for propulsion, ascending, dismissing the airless room, my body thrumming with the sense of absence, raising my conviction that I should follow it. I am now in the disquiet of following. There are times the raven is just ahead and I can hear his raucous caw and see the trail of quilled silken darkness he leaves ahead on the path as unlit waymarks. His fierce eye piercing me for some time, opening me to the awe of darkness, the way it helps me shed the sacks of light I keep stored to stave off my dread of the dusk and dimness that evening brings on. This egregious comrade lives on carrion, the detritus of the battles I fight, the physicality of aftermath, consuming creature, opportunistic, bellicose in iridescent raiment. His flight path across the field, settling on the dry stone wall just ahead of me, his movements a tenebrous alphabet, the steps of a slow black Caliginous dance, his lurching sweep and his staccato steps. The ubiquity of ravens always with me now, no escape for my anxious heart, all its fears enumerating themselves, their ungenerosity familiar, gathering around, their dark eyes glinting. But this bombazine flock are truth bearers and require my same heart to shape itself in an upsurge of nerve, born of terror, of that scavenging moment of lack, that acceptance of my true unfinishedness. Those who allow shadows to cast over those unfeasible optimisms we spend so much time chasing are initiated into the Congress of Ravens, a gathered unkindness that quickly uncossets them. Shadowing the unilluminated vagrancy that is the raven's flight path, slowly accepting in my life's last years to be a novice of the twilight as I was once a newborn glimmer of dawn. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. This poem, A Raven in My Sleep, is as yet unpublished. It is me listening, listening deeply to the narrative of my life. The, the first part of it came to me in a dream. And as I'm turning 60... And looking forward, I have to admit and recognise I'm in the last part of my life. Hopefully it'll be a long last part. I've got quite a few more years left in me. But it gives me a different perspective. And as I say at the end, slowly accepting in my life's last years to be a novice of the twilight as I was once a newborn glimmer of dawn. A novice of the twilight 
in the um, in the arriving in magic poem, I talk about being a novice to the green flame in the bud. I think we have a series of novitiates. A novitiate was when someone re- entered a religious order, and they would have a period of of um, apprenticeship, of being a novice, of of being new, and. Each phase of our life is a novitiate. We we are new to it and we have to serve that novitiate in order to become avowed to to be wedded to the next part of our life and who we are. And these novitiates are really important. I've I've always known when I started a new job or you go to a new place, those first few days and weeks are really important. You see things in those first few days and weeks that you'll never see again because they become familiar. You notice things that other people don't. Interestingly, in Benedict's rule for for monasteries, written 1,500 years ago, he says that all the members of the community, including the novices, should be allowed in chapter meetings where the business of the monastery was discussed because they may have novel insights because they're new. They see things that that the people who've been there for years don't see. So I recognise that I'm in the novitiate of my twilight. And this whole poem came to me, the first part, as a dream. I was in a classroom which I think for me represented the kind of inward unwillingness, what I call in the poem the pointless exposition of insideness, this um, echo chamber that we can create for ourselves where we think we've learned everything there is to learn, we know everything there is to know, so don't tell me anything because I already know. And, and I, I try to portray it in the blackboard's thin white letters, those scratchy, chalky letters on the blackboard that those of people of my age will remember staring at many of them. Um, the pointless exposition of insideness, the, the, the inside of something that you've hollowed out has nothing more to teach you. And something has to occur that makes you go out that makes you leave the comfort of what you already know, of who you already think you are, of who you deem yourself to be. And and for me, often it's been anxiety or mental health issues that have projected me out of this. And the raven that flew into this dream was sitting on a hawthorn hedge on this spiky... Uh, powerful symbolic greenery the hawthorn flowers in may and would surround sacred groves and has a, an ancient history in our dna in this country and it, it has that recognition of the crown of thorns it's very thorny and spiky um, so in the dream it's coming from a place of difficulty and in it flies and lands on my shoulder. 
imagine being in your school, being in a classroom and a raven flies in and sits on your shoulder. That's how it felt. And I could feel it, feel the weight of the bird. They're big. And it's talons puckering the skin of my blade with just enough pressure to let me know that they were fitted to tear flesh with ease. This was um, a powerful emissary from the darkness of my life, from the darkness of our human nature. And it was inviting me to be its friend. It was inviting me to leave the classroom and follow, to leave the tutelage of human wisdom, if you like, and to go out and learn from the natural world, from the wild world. I'm just looking out of my window where I record these and there are little wagtail tits outside chittering and talking to each other. Um, and the buds of the leaves are just about to burst forth, novice to the green flame in the bud. The new life that springs every year the newness that I'm being invited to, but being invited to by a carrion bird, a bird that lives, has traditionally lived off the carrion of life. And I follow it. I follow it out. I am now in the disquiet of following. And, and for a few months after this dream, I think it's that I can't remember how they describe this, but once you've been alerted to something, you see it everywhere. And I literally saw rooks, crows, ravens everywhere, especially rooks. I've got massive rookeries where I live. And, you know, I'd be walking the dog and there'd be one on the fence in front of me and it'd hop along the fence posts all the way up in front of me. They'd be cawing above my head. Everywhere I went, there seemed to be these black carrion birds. And I really started to try and make friends with them and to make friends with what they were trying to teach me. I can hear his raucous core and see the trail of quilled silken darkness he leaves ahead on the path as unlit waymarks. And as I've said many times on this podcast, the times when I was feeling anxious and upset and stressed I began to see his visitations by this raven, uh, introducing me to disquiet and asking me what it was that was out of kilter in my life. Jung has this great phrase, enantiodromia, that, that there is a corresponding reality that if you are overstressing one thing in your conscious life, there will be in your unconscious, the corresponding opposite, active and functioning. And part of the work of a good life is to, is to bring them all to consciousness, to allow the unconscious and the conscious to begin to balance themselves. So me overstressing that pointless exposition of insideness, trying to keep control, you know, verging on OCD at times, trying to keep control of things, was was relegating my anxiety, my, my disquiet at some of the aspects of the life I was leading into the unconscious. And there it emerged 
as this black bird, my egregious comrade who lives on carrion, the detritus of the battles I fight, the physicality of aftermath, consuming creature, opportunistic bellicose in iridescent raiment. His flight path across the field settling on the dry stone wall just ahead of me, his movements a tenebrous alphabet. The steps of a slow black collisionous dance, his lurching sweep and his staccato steps. Powerful. He was leading me, that darkness, my traumas that I'd, I'd not paid attention to, the things that had hurt me, the things that I maybe hadn't forgiven in other people, the things I hadn't forgiven in myself were coming to visit me. And this bird fed off those things, got stronger because of them and was presenting to them, them to me as an egregious comrade was saying to me, let's look at these. Let's look at where you think you failed, where you don't feel like you've been a success, where your dreams may not have come true, or where you feel you failed as a parent, or failed as a partner, or failed in the work that you've done. Let's look at them, because maybe they're not failures. Maybe they're doorways to a different you that is not styled in the way that you expected, but can live with yourself as someone who hasn't succeeded in the way you expected to and be compassionate to yourself and find that on the other side of that failure is a different kind of success, a different kind of compassionate acceptance. These were all the things that I was wrestling with in this piece and in this passage of my life, in this novitiate of twilight. The ubiquity of ravens always with me now, no escape from my anxious heart, all its fears enumerating themselves, their unjust generosity familiar. One of the collective nouns for, for ravens is an ungenerosity. Their ungenerosity familiar gathering around their dark eyes glinting. But this bombazine flock are truth bearers and require my same heart to shape itself in an upsurge of nerve born of terror, of that scavenging moment of lack, that acceptance of my true unfinishedness. All the time I've been trying to grow up into a settled man and now I realise I need to grow back down into that novitiate that I'm being invited into that growing back down into rescued innocence if this novitiate of twilight is anything it is that rescued innocence of the child to look at the world again with all the wounds and traumas and pains and difficulties I've experienced to re-look at the world not with the jaded insideness of the scratchy little blackboard, the balance sheet approach to life, but with the eyes of a renewed adult child, like Dylan talks about. And I'm beginning to trust that. 
Those who allow shadows to cast over those unfeasible optimisms we spend so much time chasing are initiated into the Congress of Ravens, another collective now, a gathered unkindness, another collective now, that quickly uncossets them. The Congress of Ravens, a gathered unkindness that quickly uncossets them. There's one thing I think we don't want to be as we get older, is, well, some people do, but I don't, is to be cosseted, to cosset ourselves against the realities of life. The unilluminated vagrancy that is the, vag the raven's flight path. It's important to me somehow to walk this darkened path, this twilight path, that actually is full of joy in a strange kind of way. I wrote a poem um, right in the middle of my anxiety called, <laughs> interestingly, Advice to Myself in Anxiety. There is no miraculous cure for all this, just a stubborn willingness to engage in the day as it comes, not as fear makes it. The panic often rises, altering the view of the world around you, making it shimmer not with beauty, but with the strip light of disquiet. It passes though and gives way to joy, not joy unending, but fleeting, gone when noticed, days of endless homecoming and eviction. Breathe slowly into this, do not run, stay. You are moored more firmly than you know. There is a constancy in you, not your own. Be kind to your running part. Trust all your story, whatever it leaks, all over your curated persona. If you settle in, unshielded, all will be well. Not well as in a trite, joyfully ever after, but life lived to the down dregs, drudged and diamond-like, weakening into the starry night. That endlessly constellated nocturne, which at the end and the close of each Sisyphean stone-pushed day intimates a mist-wrapped and unpredicted dawn. That endlessly constellated nocturne, which at the close of each Sisyphean stone-pushed day intimates a mist-wrapped and unpredicted dawn. At the head of that poem, I put this quote from Van Gogh. Vincent van Gogh, as he is uh, looking out of the uh, sanatorium window where he was incarcerated for a year in San Remy. This morning I saw the countryside from my window a long time before sunrise, with nothing but the morning star, with the expression of all the intimacy and all the great peace and majesty that it has, adding to it a feeling so heartbreaking, so personal. These emotions... These emotions I do not detest. So heartbreaking, so personal. I think, for me, the invitation, this novitiate of twilight, is to see, like he does, that the world around us is addressing us so personally, so heartbreakingly. And the narrative of our life, whatever it has been, is coming into a conversation, into a, sometimes a collision with the 
outside world, with the natural world, with the animal world, with the green world, and, and it's creating a new experience of who we are, if we can listen to it. Uh, recently, David Hockney was being interviewed um, on uh, the television about his new exhibition of uh, seeing spring in Normandy, his painting in Normandy, he's in his 80s. And he says, I can't hear, really, he's gone deaf, but I can see. And they were saying to him, you know, you still seem to have such a powerfully optimistic uh, vision of life. And, it, and what, what can we do, the interviewer said. And he said, go and look, go and look. Look at the rivers, look at the trees, look at the plants, look at the world outside of you and, and look deeply, look with really open eyes and drink it in and see how it speaks to you. And I mean, Hockney to me is like a modern Van Gogh. He just presents the world back to us, especially the spring, with such a vibrant palette and brush that you can't fail to think, hang on, there's more to my life than I think there is. There's more to me. There is definitely more to me than, than I had realised. That each little passage of my life is meaningful and has something to say to me if I can listen to it has a narrative all of its own has a, a a content that I didn't necessarily put there the ancient Greeks or the Greeks they call it the muse and I've discovered that when you're writing sometimes a sentence comes to you and you think well I I'm not sure where that came from. I, it came from within me, but I didn't consciously put it there. Something else seems to have arisen in me. Um, if you settle in unshielded, all will be well. And that's it. it, it, it there's this arising of a narrative and an experience of yourself that you didn't put there but that is you and it's deeply mysterious um but it comes from that kind of wonderful looking that that hockney hockney describes um and i went to see his exhibition called a bigger picture and watched the video that went with this exhibition at the royal academy and again it was him painting in uh north yorkshire uh, northeast Yorkshire near Scarborough often painting spring but all the seasons and especially painting massive trees and he I'll read the piece that I wrote it's called A Bigger Picture I view Hockney's bigger picture tracks winding into infinity seasons of arboreal tunnels their ending coming closer the irascible smoker's vision of immortality if this life is a mystery, why not the next one? Even greater, he quips. 
I too declare my faith in beauty with a Yorkshire accent and can spend whole mornings gazing down a puddle lane. His interviewer asked, tell me what you see. I can't, I'll paint it, he brushes. Canvas walls, sun-drenched roads, light stippled and blossoming. I suddenly trace the bigger picture with my pen following his brush. It reads in bold colour, colour, be here, not in some fearful exit you can't predict. Here is the revelation of what life feels like in a luminous lane or the bare copse of a Walgate winter. Here celebrates the past infinity, even though we take our leave of it. This then is the bigger picture. We are part not of a blinkered, dismal smallness, but the hockney bold, both barrels blazing, life-affirming glory of, a, of enormous trees. This then is the bigger picture. We are part not of a blinkered, dismal smallness, but the hockney bold, both barrels blazing, life-affirming glory of enormous trees. The life-affirming glory of enormous trees. I hope as this podcast comes to an end, my meandering thoughts about turning 60 and my birthday um, help you get in touch with the narrative of the phase of life that you're in, whatever that is. And, and that alchemy that goes on in the artistic imagination between the images that arise outside of us, around us, from the natural world, from the everyday world that we inhabit, from our home life, from our environment, from our work, from our friendships, from our fallings out, from our brokenness. Those images come into a conversation with our inner world and something rises up in us as I tried to articulate not very well. Something rises up in us that we didn't know was there. We are moored more firmly than we knew and it's that narrative, that conversation that gives new life to each phase that we go through. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. I'm going to finish with one final poem from the Sheffield collection that I'm hoping to publish later this year. And also a, a couple of plugs. So a friend of mine, Andy Selman, some of you will have heard his music on this podcast alongside my poems. We've had a lockdown collaboration. He asked if I would mind if he put music to some of the poems and I was more than happy, honoured and grateful and we've collaborated over lockdown by email and Zoom and come up with an album of 14 poems with music. Um, and they'll come out soon. So um, I'll, I'll put links to that on my website when, it's, uh, when it happens and get in touch with, them, with people on Facebook in any ways I can to get people to listen to that. Um, <clears throat> also, I've had a birthday fundraiser on Facebook um, and I'll put a link to that on, on the blurb about this podcast. Um, it's for Medsans Sans Frontier, Doctors Without Borders, which I think is an amazing charity. Um, I've been writing a, a novel about a photojournalist, and photojournalists and Medsans Sans Frontier 
when when trouble happens in the world everyone else runs away from it they run towards it um either to tell us the story or to heal the wounds as medsan sun frontier does so um if you want to contribute to that fundraiser um you can find the link and i'd be very grateful for my 60th i've raised a thousand pounds which is phenomenal um and hopefully will help with that work so this piece this final piece is called bird song on long line i did a whole load of walks around sheffield to try and get a feel for the city and understanding of the place that i've lived and grown up in and and spent most of my life in and walking is a great way of helping with anxiety um for me it's a curative um and it's a great way of actually experiencing a city um an environment that you live in it's slow it's thoughtful it's opens your eyes and your ears and your senses to what's going on around you and you're vulnerable to encounters that you're not when you're in a car um you are vulnerable to experiencing the reality of the the place that you live in and on one of these walks we uh, came up through door which is one of the very nice parts of sheffield in terms of um house price and uh, um grass verges and there's a, a road as you come out called long line and it's a dead straight road that goes on i don't know how long for um <clears throat> and it as we got to it it had been raining and an and a, a rainbow had formed over the beginning of long line the beginning of the road and and i i sort of woke up and thought wow this this feels like a summons and the rainbow was reflected in the petrol on the road underneath on the tarmac and it felt like a summons to listen and be really attentive and i tried to start to compose the piece as i walked wilmer and lara were ahead of me way ahead of me they'd gone on way ahead because i kept taking photographs so i walked up this road on my own and this is what came to me bird song on long line a straight trudge uphill framed by a rainbow mirrored in petrol spilt on the black road the aperture in the sky a summons to pay heed to this mile of evening then there is the long swash of gleaming cars the undertone trundle of tarmac tires the human sign demarcating the start and a request for motorized slowness a welcome yearning for careful drivers that seems to go utterly unheeded as i shrink into the moss-bound verge a pleb to the passing of a royal there is a roman straightness to this road a monosyllabic duality dissecting the fields bracketed by hedgerows and the generous robustness of trees in the pause between porches and white vans their parenthesis audibly bounding the green silence 
I am able to hear a bird take up its garrulous singing. Now my attention has been sensitised, like skin after weeks in a plaster cast. I am defenceless against the utter hopefulness of the feather-born chant. I want to interrogate the singer's song as my body bends low to the constant incline and a bead of sweat snuggles down the stooped line of my spine like a mouse. My questions are caustic, corrosive. I want to scald this long line, stooping into an answer. Into yielding meaning to this walk, to prize out an explanation. Instead, I just noticed the sunlight, captured in the silent panes of a house, its goldenness like an uncertain broadcast, dying in the arrival of dusk's cold. The long line is coming to a dark close. Sheep Hill Road tees the walk's long straightness and the tree framed by a sapphire backdrop to the farm where an allotment once flourished. The lack of beam poles in the overgrown patch witnessed to the absence of the old man I had once watched bending his own back to painstakingly dig in the new manure. A sleek throat sounds against the early dusk, a last verse to these long lines of walking, and my heart welcomes this reckless chorus, hopefulness beyond my walk's ending. My questions are caustic, corrosive. I want to scald this long line stooping into an answer, into yielding meaning to this walk to prize out an explanation. That's what I've tried to do my whole life in training for the priesthood, in studying philosophy and theology, in my teenage worry at night, what are we here for? What am I here for? What's the point of all this? In having children, in everything in my life, I've been caustically, corrosively trying to scold meaning out of life. This long line stooping into an answer, into yielding meaning to this walk, to prize out an explanation. And what I think I've discovered and it says in the poem, instead, I just noticed the sunlight captured in the silent panes of a house, its goldenness like an uncertain broadcast, dying in the arrival of dusk's cold. Something is being communicated to me in the beauty of everything, in the pain and the suffering of everything, in the loss, in, in the, the tragedy and in the wonderful sensual glory of everything. It's goldenness like an uncertain broadcast. The long line is coming to a dark close. Sheep Hill Road tees the longs walk, the walk's long straightness, and the tree framed by a sapphire backdrop. I took a photograph. The sky was sapphire, and this tree with no leaves on it looked so beautiful. And I remembered that there had been a, an allotment there, and it wasn't there anymore. And there'd been an old man, and it was 
wonderful. There were lines of bean poles and he grew all sorts of things and it was gone. Witness to the absence of the old man I'd once watched bending his own back to painstakingly dig in the new manure. It reminded me of my own mortality. All of us will pass, will be gone. And yet he did that every year. He did that act of hope. And then the sleep throat sounds against the early dusk. A last verse to these long lines of walking, the birds started to sing again. And my heart welcomed this reckless chorus, hopefulness beyond my walk's ending. Hopefulness, hopefulness beyond my walk's ending. A sleep throat sounds against the early dusk, a last verse to these long lines of walking. And my heart welcomes this reckless chorus, hopefulness beyond my walk's ending. I hope that ending doesn't come too soon. And I hope that this podcast has help you reflect on your own life i'm really appreciative of of the feedback i get from these podcasts this conversation the next one i think will be uh ray tonge my friend who who couldn't uh speak when we had scheduled because he lost his dad um but we'll we'll be recording that very soon um so thanks for listening thanks for all the kindness and love that you've shown me over my 60 years and I look forward to speaking often again. I'm Adrian Scott, I'm the Anxious Poet. Bless you. See you next time. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets podcast.